If you look with me here at Luke 11, let's go ahead and read the entire passage so that we have the context. I will read verse 1, if you can read verse 2, all the way through verse 13, like that, reading responsively. The Bible says in Luke 11, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Give us day by day our daily bread. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? We'd like to pick up exactly where we left off last week. Uh, we were looking at that story of the importunate intercessor that he just kept on knocking until he got what he was asking for. And the Lord, after giving that short parable in verse 9, he says, And I say unto you. So now the Lord Jesus is addressing each of us personally. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. From this verse, it's very clear that the Lord Jesus wants us to pray like that man went to his friend's house and got bread. He wants us to ask, he wants us to seek, and he wants us to knock. Very quickly, by way of introduction this evening, what can we learn from these three instructions to ask, to seek, and to knock? Well, number one in our prayer, we should always be number one, definite. Be definite. This word definite, it means free of all ambiguity, uncertainty, or obscurity. When this guy was banging on his friend's house, 
asking for bread, it was very clear what he wanted. He wanted bread. He wasn't there to chat. He wasn't there uh, to catch a late night show. He was there to get some bread. There was no ambiguity in his request. It was specific. It was definite. Friend, lend me three loaves. Even gave the exact number he needed for his friend to give him. Now, Christian, this is how we are to pray. Definite, specific prayers. Ask and you shall receive. There's a tremendous book. I would encourage everyone here to at some point in your life, read it. It's by Dr. John R. Rice, and it's called Prayer, Asking and Receiving. One of the best books on prayer that you will ever read, if not the best book. Ask Brother Abel. He's on his second time through, I think, reading it. It's that good. And the whole crux of the book, however many pages it is, Dr. John R. Rice is just saying the same thing over and over in different ways with different stories. In prayer, we are to ask things of God and expect to receive them. This is where so many of us fail in the area of prayer. And this is why so many of us do not enjoy prayer. Because we, we find comfort and solace in vague, ambiguous, indefinite prayers. Lord, bless me. Now that's a good prayer. Uh, we know Jabez prayed for blessing and God gave it to him. But what exactly are you asking for with that prayer? Christians often uh, gravitate to ambiguous prayers because then they're off the hook of actually expecting anything to happen. If you don't really know what you're asking for, then you're not disappointed if nothing happens. But God wants us to pray like this, to be definite, to ask for specific things and expect to receive them. If you read the Old Testament especially, uh, there's a word that is often used of prayer, and it's this word petition. Petition. And with a petition, you have the idea of requesting something specific of an authority. Often we think of people signing petitions and sending them off to the government. And the more signatures you get, the more chance you have of of, of getting that leader's attention and getting them to change their mind on something or to enact something. So we understand this idea of a petition. When someone sends a petition off to a political representative, they're very specific about what they want. Uh, if it's a, especially if it's a politician they don't like, they're not writing it as a, as a thank you letter. Or they're not writing to, to praise the politician for all of his wonderful qualities. They're not writing it as a conversational, here's what's going in my life. They're asking something definite. And that is how the Bible describes prayer, especially in the Old Testament, as a petition. Something specific that you are asking of an authority. So in our prayers, we need to be definite. Number two, we need to be diligent. We won't belabor this too much because uh, we, we really saw that in the story last week. But this word seek, it has to do with going after something and doing all you can to find it. Now, if you're married uh, or if you've spent any time with women, you know that there are uh, at least two ways of shopping. There's the way a man shops, typically. It's not always like this, and not everyone fits into these categories. But typically, there's the way a man shops, there's the way a woman shops. Okay? Women, or a lot of them at least, enjoy what we call window shopping. 
What is the point of window shopping? Is to go look at a bunch of stuff, covet a lot of stuff, but you may not necessarily buy anything. You're just looking. Or I've been in my store with Miss Andrea, and someone comes over to us and asks if we need help, and then we'll tell them, no, we're just browsing. Now, when you go shopping like that, you're not seeking anything. You don't have a purpose other than to enjoy the company of those you're with, or to enjoy looking at things. But men, typically the way we shop is we go seeking for something. I know what I need when I leave my driveway, and it's not gonna change in between there and the mall. And I'm gonna go straight to the store where wherever it is I can get, I'm gonna grab that item, I'm going to go straight to the line, and I'm going to pay. I'm one of those people that love self-checkout because I love the feeling of being in control and being able to get out as fast as I can. I don't like waiting on people or things, okay? But that's how men shop. We go straight to what we need, we get it, and we get out of there. That is seeking. There's a purpose to it. We are on a mission. We're seeking out what we need. And that's how this man prayed, and that is how we are to pray. When we pray, we're not just killing time so that we feel better about ourselves, that we have fulfilled our spiritual duty. That is not prayer. Prayer has a mission. Prayer has an objective. There are things that I have got to get from God, and I'm going to get them. We're not browsing. We're not window shopping. We're diligently seeking something from God. Number three, so we're to ask, we're to seek. Number three, knock. This reminds us that we need to be determined. We need to be determined. Determined means that you've reached a decision about something and you're firmly resolved to reach that intended goal. You have fixed in your mind what you want to accomplish and you're not going to stop until it's accomplished. That's how this man prayed. He kept knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. He was diligent about it. He was determined. That's how we are to pray if we are going to follow his example. Now, as we continue through this passage, last week and just now, we really focused on how to pray. We need to pray with importunity. Tonight, we need to ask. We need to be definite. We need to seek, be diligent, and we need to not be determined. But now we go into uh, perhaps the best part of this entire passage, and we come to why we should pray. We've looked at how we are to pray, but now we see in this passage why we should pray. And here we find two big reasons why we should pray. Number one, if you're taking notes, the logical reason. The logical reason. Notice the promise in verse 10. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And him that knocketh, it shall be opened. What is the logical reason why we should pray? Simply because it works. It works. Everyone that asketh, receiveth. You're not getting your prayers answered. You're not enjoying your prayer life. It's because ye have not, because ye ask not. Why should we pray? Simply the logical reason that it works. Now, what I love about the Lord Jesus' teaching is that it's not, it's not ambiguous, theoretical, and far off in some spiritual fairyland that we can't really understand what he's talking about. He tells us these 
things in everyday terms. He's given us a story that we can relate with about a man who needed bread. We all need bread. We all know what that's like. And then here, I believe more than just giving us a promise regarding prayer, although that is definitely inherent here. I believe what the Lord Jesus is giving us in verse 10 is a simple law of nature, a law of the way the world works. And he's saying prayer is no different. In our world, everyone that asketh, by and large, for the most part, receiveth. Those that seek, find, and those that knock, it's open to them. Let me give you a few illustrations with this thing of asking. In most families, who usually gets everything they want? In most families, not all, but my family at least gives me a hard time, and my wife especially, that as the baby of the family, I get whatever I want. Now, you can ask my siblings, I don't know if that's really all that true, but I have learned one thing. It doesn't hurt to ask, and it certainly doesn't hurt to be persistent. And I have often benefited from asking my parents and being persistent about things when maybe my siblings wouldn't have felt like asking or wouldn't have been the word they like to use. I like the Bible word better, but they say pushy. Babies of the family can often be pushy. But the, the, the rest of you in the birth order, you have not because you ask not. But why does the youngest child often get a lot? Because they ask for stuff. I also think of another story. Uh, when, when I was uh, a young boy, my brother and I were visiting my grandparents in Ontario. And my uncle had a, a beautiful apartment suite right next to the Toronto Blue Jays Stadium. And across the hall from him lived one of the pitchers for the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I wasn't a Blue Jays fan, so I really had no interest in that Blue Jays pitcher. Austin, he was a Blue Jays fan, so maybe he would have cared. So I had an idea of waiting, or I don't know who gave me the idea. It might not have been mine. But my brother and I waited outside this man's door until he got there. And get this, normally if, if a famous person meets a child, that child is, is wanting an autograph from them, you know, wanting a picture with them. But looking back, as insulting as this could have been to this man, I, I told him to his face, I'm a Red Sox fan, and I'm wondering if you can get me David Ortiz autograph. Not yours, but David Ortiz. Okay, now looking back, I mean, not a very flattering thing to do, but this man was so kind, so nice, and I don't think everyone, anyone had ever given a request like that, that he went to the great lengths of not only getting an opposing player's autograph, uh, but getting it packaged for me and mailing it to me. All because my brother and I simply sat outside his door and asked. Now, this is a fact of life. People get stuff because they ask for it. And, and when we're dealing with a loving Heavenly Father, it's no different. And the only reason we lose out is because we don't take the time to ask. What about seeking? What about seeking? Well, who is it that finds the best deals when they go shopping? Is it the people who are in a hurry? Is it the people who don't even look at the price tag? No, it's the people who go to the store with the objective of finding deals. It's the people who painstakingly 
cut coupons out before they go to the store, seeking the best deals for things they need. This is the way Mrs. Odom shops. This is the way my Aunt Misty shops. They seek out the best deals and they get them. If you think about in past eras, gold rushes, who are the people that found the gold? The people that took the time to dig for it. It didn't just fall out of the sky. They had to go seek it and find it. This is a common truth in life that those who ask, receive. And those who seek, find. And it's no different with our God in prayer. The same goes for knocking. When you and I are canvassing and delivering flyers door to door, we're not expecting to see anyone. Why? Because we're not knocking on the door. But as soon as we choose to knock on the door, now we're expecting someone to open it. So why is it that when we go to God with these promises in hand, we question whether he's going to open the door? If this is a fact of life, that everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh to him it shall be opened, then why do we doubt its veracity with God? There's a logical reason why we should pray, simply because it works. And number two, there's a theological reason. A theological reason. The passage goes on. The Lord is building on this idea. He says, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, verse 11, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? When we read the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7, there the Lord Jesus says, How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? And we'll get to it in a second why there's a difference here. But what is the theological reason why we should pray? We've looked at the logical reason. What is the theological reason? Simply that our God, our Heavenly Father, is much kinder than earthly fathers. He's much better. He's much holier. He's much wiser. And if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall our perfect Heavenly Father give good things to them to ask Him? It's quite simple. We, we trust earthly fathers, for the most part, to treat their children nicely, to, to give them things that they need. So why would we doubt God? Now in this passage, I believe there's great significance to the illustrations that the Lord provides. Look with me at verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Okay, so picture with me this scenario. And let's just pick someone. Uh, let's pick uh, Marvin, okay? So Marvin comes to Brother Jason and says, Dad, or whatever you say in Mandarin. <laughs> huh? Okay, so that's how he says it. And he says, I'm hungry. I want some bread. I want some lunch. Is Brother Jason going to turn to him, hand him a rock, and say, suck on this? Of course not. Maybe as a, as a cruel joke, but there's no way that any good, loving father would do that to your child. 
Oh, you want bread? Oh, you're hungry? Oh, you want food? Here's a rock. No good father would do that. And yet, how many Christians go to God in prayer like this? And they say, God, I have this need in my life. I've got to have this. It's essential to my family's survival. It's essential to me performing your will. I need this. And we ask God for something that we definitely need, that he has promised to provide. Then we get up off our knees and we go our way as if God handed us a rock. And we say, well, I did my duty in prayer, but now I'm going to go out and try to figure this out on my own. I'm going to try to go make my own way. I'm going to try to go make something out of this rock. Makes me think of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 4. How did the devil tempt the Lord Jesus? He said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And you know why the Lord Jesus didn't need to do that? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know what the Lord Jesus knew? That's not how my father operates. My father hasn't put me down here to depend on him for everything and then is expecting me to turn rocks into bread. That's not how he operates. When I have a need, I can go directly to him and ask for it and he'll provide it. Isn't that how the Lord Jesus performed the miracle with the loaves? It says that he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. That didn't mean that he was just consecrating the bread. He was asking his father to bless that bread and to feed those people because that's how God operates. But how many Christians ask God for a definite need in their life and get up off the ground, off their knees, or they open their eyes and they go their way as if God gave them a rock and as if now it's up to them to make it on their own. Christian, that is faithless praying. That is faithless. If you have a need that God has promised to supply and you ask him for it, don't act as though he gave you a rock. Trust him that he is going to provide. We see the next illustration of fish and a serpent. He says, if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Again, picture the little child. We could picture Shirley. So Shirley likes sushi. So she says, Dad, I'll, I want some sushi. Is he going to turn and give Shirley a snake? No kind person would do that. How can you do that to someone like Shirley with that smile? How can you do that? No earthly father would do that. But how many Christians are terrified to pray from their heart, thy will be done. They're terrified to give over their entire will to God and say, whatever you want from me today, whatever you want for my future, thy will be done. They're terrified to ask that. They think that if I pray something like that, if I ask God for a fish, he's going to give me a serpent. You realize not only are serpents frightening and no earthly father would give that to his child as food, but serpents were unclean animals. They would defile a, a Jew. They would be harmful to him on multiple levels. No good father would give that to his child. And our heavenly father, when you pray, thy will be done, 
He's not going to bring things into your life that harm you or that aren't good for you. Why? Because he's a good father. And Christian, if you're scared to pray, thy will be done. If you're scared to give over your will to God's, why don't you just choose to begin believing that your heavenly father is better than earthly fathers? And if earthly fathers wouldn't give children serpents for fish, then your heavenly father isn't going to give you anything harmful when you pray according to his will. The next illustration we see, if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? This really builds on the idea of the last one. But if you look in Revelation 9, 5, the scorpion in scripture is often a symbol of torment. And how many Christians, if they were dead honest, if they really said what was going on in their hearts, how many Christians are afraid that if they were to ask God, Father, fill me with your spirit, take over my life, every area of it, how many people actually believe the lie that to pray something like that, now the Holy Spirit's going to torment them. Now the Holy Spirit is going to make their life miserable. Now they're not going to be able to have any fun. Now they're not going to be able to do what they want to do, and their life is going to be miserable. How many Christians ask God for an egg, expecting him to give them a scorpion? If you pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, take over my life. Lord, thy will be done. He's not going to torment you. He only wants to give you good things. And above all, from this passage, we see that he wants to give us himself. That's the crux of what the Lord Jesus is saying. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them to ask him? In Matthew, when he originally gave this teaching, he said good things. But here he wants to get specific. Here he wants to give the greatest superlative of all. There's nothing better that God could give you than his very own spirit. It's not so much... He loves us. We've looked at the logical reason why we should pray. What is it? Because it works. We've looked at the theological reason we should pray because our Heavenly Father is kinder than earthly fathers. He only wants to give us good things. He wants to give us Himself. So in closing tonight for the remainder of the message, why is it that we struggle so much to pray. Why? We've been taught how to pray. We've been told why we should pray. And if we really believed all these truths, you'd have to pry us away from our prayer closet. I, I like the way uh, an old preacher puts it. He says, if you're spirit-filled, you're going to have to backslide not to pray. So why is it that we struggle? Well, number one, and I'll just give you two main points here. Number one, we do not naturally trust God. Why don't we pray? Why don't we ask God for the good things that he wants to give us? Because we do not naturally trust him. This is what the Lord Jesus is giving, uh, getting at here. Earthly children naturally trust their heavenly fathers, uh, or their earthly fathers. So why is it that there's this struggle to trust our Heavenly Father. Because our natural man, that flesh, that even if you're saved, is still with you, it doesn't trust God. That natural part of you, as long as it's with you, for the rest of your days on this earth, 
it will never want to trust God. Romans 8 verse 7 says, the carnal mind, the natural mind, is enmity against God. Christian, listen to this. Until your dying day, your flesh is never going to trust God. It's never going to believe that he loves you. It's never going to be reformed. That flesh is, is degenerate. It, it's bent on evil. It does not naturally trust God. And so Christian, understand this. If you are living on autopilot, if you are just coasting in this Christian life, now we've got a group of people that are out here on a Thursday night, so that shows that you're pretty serious. But we can come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Thursday night and still be on autopilot in much of our life. If we are not consciously depending on the Holy Spirit of God on a daily basis, that natural man inside us is not going to trust God. If you keep reading in Luke, in Luke 11, verses 24 through 26, the Lord Jesus uh, talks about people who try to reform their lives apart from God. Someone, the unclean spirit goes out of this man and it says, he seeks rest in dry places, but he finds none. Christian, if you are seeking rest for your soul anywhere apart from God, you're never going to find it. If you feel like you have to give yourself that security and you have to give yourself that rest and you have to find it on your own, you're just proving that you don't trust God, because the Lord Jesus promised in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You keep reading in Luke, and in Luke 12, verses 28 through 30, the Lord Jesus is saying, If I clothe the lilies of the field, then why are you worried about your raiment? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat? If I take care of my creation, I'm going to take care of you. And he says, Your problem is... You're seeking after all the things that the world seek after. All the people that don't have me as their father, that can't claim my promises of caring for them, you're acting like them. Why? Because you don't trust me. And Christian, as long as we're giving in to that flesh, we're going to struggle to trust God, and we're never going to pray like we should. Number two, why do we struggle to pray? We do not naturally want God. We do not naturally want God. What is God offering to us above all in prayer? If you look at the model prayer, if you look here at his promise to the Holy Spirit, what is God offering to us? He's offering us himself. But that natural man of ours, that flesh inside, doesn't want God. Romans says there is none that seeketh after God. And again, Christian, if we live on any kind of autopilot, we're not going to naturally want God. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about that desire in our hearts to want God. This is illustrated, if you keep reading in Luke, by the Pharisees. In Luke 11, verse 16, you're, you're there in Luke 11, so you might as well look at it. Verse 16, it says, And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. Then look in verse 29. The Lord Jesus says of these people, 
This is an evil generation. They seek a sign. The Lord was performing miraculous signs left and right. He just cast out a demon. But the reason these people refused to accept it is they didn't want God. They didn't want what the Lord Jesus was preaching. They didn't want to submit themselves to Jesus and his message. And Christian, as long as we are like the Pharisees and we're fixated on the here and now, what we can see with our eyes, and those lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we're always going to struggle to pray. James describes it as double-mindedness. You cannot live a life trying to please your flesh and trying to please God at the same time. That is just a recipe to be miserable. We have to deny our flesh, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. We have to deny what is temporal and fleeting, that gratification in the here and now, and we have to go after what is so much better, God, what He is offering us. But we struggle to pray because we naturally don't trust God, and we naturally don't want Him. But here's the good news in closing, Christian. In Romans 8, you can jot down this reference, Romans 8, verses 26 through 28. Here's the good news. Yes, we have these weaknesses. Yes, we have this flesh that we're dealing with that doesn't want to pray, that, that doesn't want to trust God. But Romans 8, verses 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Your flesh may not trust God, and your flesh may not want Him, but the Holy Spirit of God does. And He lives within us to enable us and to teach us to pray. And so when you get up tomorrow morning, knowing that you've got this bevy of promises, this pile of good things that God wants to give you, but there's a struggle inside and you don't feel like praying, remember that the Holy Spirit is with you to help you pray. And if you will ask Him to help you, He will. I'd like to close with this verse. If you turn there, and I promise it'll be the last thing we look at. Psalm 27, verse 4. How could we summarize all that we've looked at tonight? We've looked at a lot, so how can we have it imprinted in our mind when we get up to morning? This is how I am to pray. This is the goal for my life as a believer. This is what my prayer life should look like. It's right here in Psalm 27.4. In this verse, we see asking. We see seeking and we see knocking. And it all has as its goal, God. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord. You know that word desired elsewhere in the Old Testament? You know how it's translated? Ask. So in that first phrase, ask. One thing have I desired of the Lord. This is what I'm asking for. This is the specific thing I want you to grant me. And then the next phrase, that will I seek after. I'm not just going to ask for these things in prayer and check off the prayer list. My heart is going to be engaged, and I'm seeking after you. I'm not window shopping. I'm not browsing. I'm on a mission 
there's something I want from you, God. Ask, seek, and then it finishes, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What is that? Knock. You ask for the good things that God wants to give you. You seek his face, as you read later in this psalm, with all of your heart. And when you begin to taste of what it's like to have your prayers answered and to experience God's presence, you'll start knocking. And you won't want to leave the place of fellowship with God because this is your one desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That is the prayer life that God has in store for us. Every day, looking into the face of our God, beholding his beauty, and it only gets better and better. Christian, is our prayer life getting better and better? It should. If we'll just ask, if we'll seek, if we'll knock, it's right here. This is what God has for us. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us every possible encouragement to pray. Father, there's nothing more that you could do for us to prove your love for us. You that spared not your own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall you not with him freely give us all things? Father, you're a good heavenly father, but our sinful, wicked hearts this flesh of ours doesn't want to trust you and doesn't want you. And so tonight I pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts, that we would repent of this double-mindedness, that we would stop catering to our flesh, and that we would begin to seek after you with all of our hearts. I pray that you would teach us to pray like this, to ask, to seek, and to knock. I pray that in this invitation, Father, that we would do business with you, that we would go to your throne and get things settled. Father, where we have had a lack of faith, help us to repent. Help us to recognize that this is no small thing. To not believe you is to have an evil heart of unbelief. And Father, I pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts, but I pray also that you would encourage us that we have the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts and we can enjoy prayer. We can get our prayers answered. We can know you more fully in our prayer closets. And Father, I pray that in this invitation you would do this work in our hearts as only you can. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.